0: Okay, good morning. In the, uh, in the interest of, of balance and fairness, last time when Ian was preaching last week, a, a Scotsman, we mentioned the rugby the, when England beating Scotland the day before. In interest of, of balance, we probably should mention the England-Ireland result, but um, we're not going to. So... <laughs> Let's, let's move on to something far more important. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking this morning, continue our series um, on who is Jesus. Um, and I want to start with a, a survey. Now, across this room, there'll be different opinions on this, um, on this, this program. Downton Abbey ran for six series, finished last year. Um, who is a keen Downton Abbey fan? Just hands up, out of interest. Okay. Um, hands down. Um, who couldn't care less about Downton? Hands up. Okay. Um, and there, there is a third camp, which I am in, uh, in which it's off, it was on in the background. I just happened to be doing other things in the room at the same time while it was on. So I was like doing things on my uh, laptop while Vicky was watching it, and, and kind of I watched certainly more than I intended to and got sucked in. Anyone else in, in, that, in that category? Okay, good. Uh, at least a few other honest people um, in here. So... Those in, if familiar with the world of, of Downton Abbey, there are two distinct groups. There's the, the upstairs world. Those, where um, the kind of the, those who have money, who have importance, and were obsessed with, with keeping up appearances, wearing the, the right clothes, seen with the right people, displaying the right etiquette. But then there are also those who, who are downstairs, the, the servants. Um, they weren't so, shown in such high regards. They were preferred to be... Um, in the background and shouldn't really be noticed at all. But as you watch the program or pretend to watch the program uh, or pretend not to watch the program, as the case may be, um, you see that their lives seem a, a lot more real and much less pretense. Today we're, we're looking at how pomp and poverty impact us and how does this question, who is Jesus, what impact does it have? on um, this area of of, of rich and poor, how much we have and how significant we see ourselves. Because if we're honest, most of us would probably like to inhabit the the upstairs world of Downton Abbey, where you have people waiting on you hand and foot, where you have someone to help you get dressed in the morning. Just watching someone, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Have someone lay your clothes out, help you put your jacket on. um, That would be just I'm sure most of us would enjoy something like that. Um, but equally, you may be in, in the room and you prefer... Actually, I'd love to, to live in, in a mud hut in the middle of nowhere with no um, pressure, with, with, without much responsibility. I can just get away from it all. But, but most of us... Would think, actually, I prefer to be in that, that world of, of the rich, where you can have all the stuff that you want. Where you don't have to worry about how you're going to pay your bills. You're able to be generous and, and not really think about, about money. Um, it can be fun thinking about what we would do if, if you were given a, a million pounds. You think, oh, what would I spend it on? What would I do? But there are actually more important questions, um, a question that apply to us all, whether we are rich or poor or somewhere in between. Because the biggest question of all is, is, who is Jesus? And this is the, the question that we're exploring as we're going through the book of Luke and Acts. Who is Jesus? It's a question that the people were asking about Jesus, and a question he puts to us. Who do you say I am? That's a question I love us to think about this morning. She's saying to us, who do you say I am? The story we're looking at involves some who are rich and someone who was poor. And Jesus is confronting the scribes, the religious authorities, who were in some ways like that upstairs crowd in Downton Abbey. Those who are looking good on the surface, but in reality were falling apart underneath. Jesus contrasts them with the actions of a poor widow who generously gave all she had to live on. And it's in this story, a poor widow who's going to show the way. So let's uh, turn to our Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 20, uh, page 620 in the the church Bibles in the pockets in front of you. Continuing our, our series, picking up from last week. So we're Luke chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 41, page 620. It says this, it starts with, with Jesus talking. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. They all contribute, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you that we can be confident that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful and true. And I pray that as we look to your word, we'll be asking this question Who, who is Jesus? Who are you? And what input, impact should this have? on our lives. And we pray, won't you be speaking to our hearts this morning? Amen. Amen. So Jesus has been answering many of the questions of the religious authorities and legal experts, and each time he's astounded them with his answers, of how he speaks with authority and with a wisdom that they hadn't seen before. And such... Is the case that they got to in, in verse 40, immediately before the passage we read. It says they no longer dared to ask him any questions. Jesus had been answering these questions so well that they didn't know what else to say to him. So now it's Jesus' turn to ask the questions and to turn the spotlight on to these scribes, these religious leaders. And we, we've just read the passage where there are, there are three scenes and we're going to explore three ways that Jesus challenges his hearers there And also us this morning. The first way that Jesus challenges them is he says to them that you're not as clever as you think you are. You're not as clever as you think you are. And the scribes were the educated. They were clever. They had great knowledge of the scriptures. They had great knowledge of how these laws were supposed to be lived out. And the thing about clever and educated people is sometimes they can be intimidating if you've ever watched University Challenge, you can you can see that um, often on a Tuesday morning, Matt comes into the office and say, "I got this many right um, on University Challenge l- last night," and then uh, at lunchtime, me and Rich kind of try and beat his score um, by watching it back on on iPlayer. But um, I can't vouch for rich, but for me, most of it goes straight over my head. You think, how do these people even know, let alone retain, the amount of information and questions that are being asked on University Challenge? Um, But the truth is, people, clever and educated people, can also be wrong and ignorant. Sometimes you can see highly intelligent people going to pieces at the self-checkout section of the supermarket. They just have no idea how to take their knowledge and put it into practical use. Um, Jesus highlights that these scribes actually weren't as clever as they thought they were. And it revolves around their authority to interpret Scripture, which was supposedly their specialist subject. The question here is about the status of David, the great Old Testament king, and his relationship to the Messiah. So um, Jesus says in verse 41, he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? So that word Christ is the same as Messiah. Uh, Christ is in Greek, Messiah is in Hebrew. And they, both words uh, mean the anointed one, the promised one, the, the king. So there's a prophetic expectation that, that Jesus is picking up that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, will be a son of David. And we can see in, in Jeremiah chapter 23 in the Old Testament, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our Righteousness. So there's this growing hope of a son of David will come. The hope was that through this ruler, Israel will be made great and the enemies will be made to cower. So far, so good. But then Jesus highlights a problem. He carries on, quoting from the book of Psalms in Psalm 110. It says, For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, your footstool. So what is the, what's the issue here? Well, King David is referring to two people as Lord. He says, The Lord says to my Lord. And there are, there are two different words being used there in, in the Hebrew. The Lord, Yahweh, which is God's covenant name, saying to my Lord, referring to the Messiah. So saying God is saying to the Messiah. And what's, what's the problem there? Well, the problem is that in a patriarchal society, such as they were in, you don't call a son Lord. You don't call a son your Lord because a son is not superior to the father. The father has that place of importance. So how can the Messiah be David's son and yet David bring honour to him? Does that make sense? Good. Sometimes I don't want you to be like me and university challenge and things just going... So... David uh, Jesus asked this question straight out. David calls him Lord. So how is he his son? There's a, there's a problem here. Notice um, at the end of verse 43, uh, at the end of yeah, verse 44. Notice the answer. The answer the scribes is is nothing. They don't say anything. Well, they, they may have given a, a politician's answer of trying to, to say something but not saying anything. But they're, they're stumped. They don't know what to say to this. Because what Jesus is saying, that it's got to, we have to either conclude that either the Messiah isn't David's son, or that the Messiah is something more than an earthly descendant of David. And more than this, the scribes are claiming to be an expert in the truth, Yet here stands before them the Messiah, the promised one, and they, the experts, don't even recognize him. The Messiah was known to be born in Bethlehem, in the family of King David, like David, but greater than him, coming to bring in the kingdom, coming to bring the, the shalom, the peace, the, the rule and reign of God. The scribes thought they knew. They thought they had it all figured out, but, but they didn't. The truth is, wisdom comes when we recognize that we're not as clever as we think we are. And when we come and ask this question of, of who is Jesus, for us, it, it threatens our self reliance and it exposes our expertise as pride. Because if we put our trust in our intellect, sooner or later, it will fail us. Because the truth is, there are things that we don't know. And it takes humility to recognize this, to say, I have no idea how that works. It takes humility to say to God that you know best, your will be done. It takes humility to relinquish full control of our lives. It takes humility to say that I have sinned. Lord Jesus, won't you be the Lord of my life? Because ultimately, Jesus is more concerned about who we know and not what we know. Jesus is more concerned about who we know rather than what we know. Sometimes we can get preoccupied with uh, looking in, in the Bible and making sure we memorize Scripture or uh, have got a good grasp on truth. And all that is important and helpful. But much more important is who we know. Jesus wants us to know him, the one who has promised, the one who is David's son and yet his Lord, the only one who can bring us back to God. So this morning, where is your heart? Are we trusting in our intellect, or how clever we are, or are we trusting in Jesus? Now, I don't want to think that trusting God is about abandoning our intellect. It, it isn't at all. It's rather trusting in someone who is greater, and it's important to, to wrestle and think about big issues, but we're not to make our intellect to become our God. We're to submit to the one true God and to know that knowing him is so much more important. So that's the first question, the first change that Jesus brings. In the second scene, we see Jesus um, coming to the scribes and saying that actually you're not as important as you think you are. You're not as important as you think you are. So what Jesus has done is actually pretty offensive. He's publicly embarrassing the scribes, the, the so called uh, clever ones. But then he really rubs their faces in it. He's saying that not only are they ignorant, but they are pompous frauds as well. Um, This is the the message version of uh, verses 45 to 47. It says, With everybody listening, Jesus spoke to his disciples. Watch out for the religion scholars. They love to walk around in academic gowns, preen in the radiance of public flattery, bask in prominent positions, sit at the head table at every church function, and all the time they are exploiting the weak and helpless. Their long prayers, their longer prayers, the longer their prayers, the worse they get, but they'll pay for it in the end. So Jesus here criticised their clothes, their attention seeking, and their desire for honour. Now there's nothing wrong with a nice robe. There's nothing wrong with saying hello to people, to greeting them, and having a good seat. But the scribes have made things like this a goal in their life. And we've probably met similar people. People whose clothes say, look at me, look at how amazing I am. Or actions that say, suck up to me, I'm the most important person in this room. Or attitudes that say that I deserve the best. And it's not just that they are are ridiculous. Sometimes we look at people in their clothes and their actions, and you think, you're just ridiculous, and we're able to dismiss them. But they were actually exploiting the weak and the helpless, those that they were supposed to be protecting. They had a pretense of piety, a good outward show, but they were in it for themselves. In the parallel passage in Matthew, uh, Jesus goes on and says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside must also be clean. So Jesus is equating them to a cup that looks good, but you'll never use. A cup that is clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. And sometimes you can reach into your cupboard, can't you? And you take down a mug, um, and you think, looks fine. And then you realise that someone hasn't washed it up properly, and... You're always blaming someone else. Of course, it's never you that would have done that. But you think, okay, that cup looks fine, but there's no way that I'm going to have a drink out of it. This is what Jesus is saying these scribes are like. They're using their position to take advantage of the weak. Again and again throughout Scripture, we see God cares for the widow and the orphan, those who are weak, those who are helpless. Jesus is saying that they will be condemned. Jesus lived his life in in a sharp contrast to the scribes. He didn't scrabble for honour, but he humbled himself. We read in, in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself, that he came as a servant, that he is obedient to death. And actually, we see the truth that most secure people don't actually care how they're viewed by others. They're happy to humble themselves and to be seen as less important than they really are. And this morning, it's very easy for us to appreciate Jesus' critique of the scribes. I'm sure the people at the time would have loved it than being taken down a peg or two. But also, there's a warning to us, because we can be more like the scribes than we care to admit. That we can be more concerned with our outward appearance than being genuinely godly. It says that we are to be concerned with our insight, and to know actually that the only hope for us getting the inside clean is putting our trust in Jesus. There's no other way that we can work effectively. There's no way that we can live effectively in order to become clean. We need to put our trust in Jesus, and he makes us clean. So do we, are we like the scribes, keeping up appearances, having the right clothes, I remember uh, growing up, we used to love uh, Knight Rider. Uh, I don't know if you, anyone else was a fan of, of Knight Rider. I, I should have got a picture to fully in, enjoy the moment. So there was, there was Kit, the car with the, the red swoosh on the front, and there was Michael Knight in his leather jacket. And me and my brother had a competition as to who could be most like Michael Knight. And so we'd run around pretending to be him. And we, we, what we really wanted is, is that jacket. And um, for a long time, I was winning, Because I had a brown cardigan. I had a brown cardigan, um, probably from CNA, I'd imagine. um, And I was running around, and I thought, yes, I'm the best at being Michael Knight. Um, But then, and I'm sure many of us will be able to relate to this, a a sad day happened. um, And my brother actually got a leather jacket. Um, And I was gutted. Because now he was the one that was looking much more like Michael Knight. Um, if I'd known at the time, I, just, I would have told my, myself, that well, just wait a few years and he'll grow out of it and then you'll be able to be. Um, Michael Knight was, always had my, my brother's hand-me-downs. Um, I was gutted. I was properly, that, that my, the, the bottom had fallen out of my world. And it may not be the same for you. You may not be, want to be Michael Knight. But actually, what, what we, how we dress, our appearance, actually other people's opinions of us can make much more of an impact on us than we like to admit. So what do we do in this situation? Well, we're to apply truth. We're to apply the truth from Romans 8.35. It says, I cannot be separated from the love of God. We're to apply truth from John 1 verse 12 saying that I am God's child. We're to apply truth from 1 Corinthians six nineteen, that says I am bought with a price and I belong to God. Each one of these things are far more important than the opinions of others or how we look. We're to be looking to these trees and allowing them to sink into us. That God is forever faithful and loves us as we are. We'd all probably love nice clothes. We'd love respect from everyone. We'd love a privileged position. If you are going on a flight and they said, would you like to have a free upgrade to business class? Most of us would say, yeah, sure. Why not? But these aren't the most important things in life. And Jesus would say to us, don't take yourself too seriously. We're not to be running after these things. We're to be those who rest in our Saviour. We're not to be those that are running after status and approval, but rest in the truth that God loves us unconditionally and forever. So those are the first two scenes. And the third one that we're looking at this morning is where Jesus says to these scribes that you're not actually as generous as you think you are. The scribes, as we've seen, have been taking advantage of these widows. But it is a widow who's going to demonstrate how they should live. So let's go back to our passage, and we're going to read from uh, Luke 21, verse 1 to 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. See, the rich, they're giving out of abundance, but the widow widow, giving out of poverty. She gave equivalent of a couple of coppers, two of the tiniest coins in circulation. So she gave two lepta, um, and 128 of them will make up a day's wage uh, for a day laborer. So if you imagine today, a, a day laborer might get, say, for argument's sake, an, an 80 pounds for a day. Um, if you're going to give 228ths of that, it would be pound twenty-five. So that was the equivalent of the offering that this widow was giving. Lots of these rich people giving in lots of money. She was giving one pound twenty-five. It's a, it's a bit like sometimes going around, around Sainsbury's and um, Joel, who's five, picks up a 1p coin from the floor. And he goes around, Dad, can I buy this? And points to something on the shelf. You're like, no, sorry, son, you can't buy that. Can I buy this with my 1p? Uh, no. And sometimes you cut it off early and say, look, Joel, you're not going to buy anything in this shop. And sometimes you let him, him go a little bit longer. That You think, actually, what, what's the point of having something so small? What can you actually do with it? Because in, in absolute terms, this was a very small offering. But in reality, it was a costly one. Because this widow was giving all that she had to live on. She would go hungry that day. Which to notice that Jesus doesn't criticize the rich for their offerings. Big offerings are good. But the widow's is more impressive. When doing uh, reading for, for this, I, I read in, in uh, one of the commentaries, um, God measures not, not by what is given, by what is left over. God measures not by what is given, but by what is left over. And I just write in my notes, ouch. Because that's, that's painful, isn't it? Uh, because we can sometimes be think we're being very generous as we give. But if we've got loads left over, we don't actually feel the cost What this widow is doing is giving all that she has to live on. And the question that I ask myself and we should be asking ourselves is, do I have that kind of faith? As we're asking this question, who is Jesus? Is he the one that we will go all in for? And say, everything that I have, I will put in your hands. But it's the direct opposite of how we measure things. It's the biggest donors who get buildings named after them. Imagine if we put a plaque on this wall that Mavis Robertson gave one pound 25 to building this building. It just doesn't happen, does it? We, we honor the, the big gifts, but Jesus' point is crystal clear. The widow is closer to God than any of these scribes. Because giving is an important part of, of worship, and God doesn't need our money. He's not strapped for cash. He has everything he needs. He made everything in this world. So we must see that giving is actually about us and not about him. It's how we express trust and dependence in God. In our lives, we set aside money for what is important for our rent or mortgage, for food, for clothes. And we think, where's the priority order going? How about giving? principle throughout the Old Testament is of first fruits and particularly in an agricultural society uh, you come with the first fruits from the land from your crop and you say I'm going to give this to you God and trust that everything else will come in. Now today it is a bit different but firstly you find it so helpful to give first of what comes in first and then trust God for everything else. We also say 10% is a guide. But actually, we are under, under grace. There are different seasons at different times. But this, what God is after is not necessarily the amount, as we've seen um, from his, his honouring of the widow, but our hearts. And so that's a question for us. Where is our hearts? Are we truly trusting God in everything? Because giving is an overflow of the heart. And we're to be giving not out of condemnation, thinking that... I should do this, otherwise um, I'm going to be under condemnation, or legalism, I just ought to. The widow had this revelation of God and loved him. And it's the same for us. We've seen Jesus, who gave everything for us. And worship is a response to revelation in what we say, in what we do, in how we sing, and actions. It's about our hearts. God loves a generous heart, and we're to reflect his generosity. Philippians 4, verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And this was what the the widow was, was trusting in. That God will supply every need, not according to our riches, but according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's about God's vast resources. The issue is not about the amount of money, but our heart towards God. And so we encourage people to to, to give and to big give, but and to give big. Um, but that will look different for different people across the room. The important thing is our hearts and this commitment of faith and of trust and of sacrifice. We mentioned uh, on Sunday night at the members' meeting an opportunity to give. This time last year, we were saying we were facing a budget deficit of £32,000. And we were able to say, um, Sunday just gone, that, that gap is, is closed. We've seen God come through in a number of different ways. And we've seen uh, the money come in because we trust him and we trust that as we seek to um, build his church that he will provide. Now, um, as it happens, we've just set the budget again and we're looking at, again at a £32,000 um, deficit, and so we're trusting God again that He will come through. But often He uses people like us to give, so there's an opportunity there. And we also set, um, spoke of the, the Vision 2020 Fund, where we're looking to do developments in this building here, um, out the front, in this area, um, in the top hall as well. We'll give more details in, in due course. But we want to know God is a generous God, we want to be able to communicate that. Uh, to those around us, and facilities really help us in that. So we'd love, um, we'll would love, we give you more information as, as time goes on, but there's an opportunity for us to give and for us to test our hearts in this. Let's trust God and know that he is after our hearts. He sees through the different um, pomp and poverty. Wherever we are, he is after our hearts. And so this is a question for us all to consider, consider whether it's the, the first time or whether you've um, known Jesus for many years. The one who sees through how much money we have, how important we seem to be, how clever we think we are. All of these things may be important to others in the world, but that's not what God is after. Because you're not as good as you thought you were, he's telling the scribes. But the truth is, Jesus is greater than you can imagine. He has a heart of humility, a heart of generosity, a heart of submission. And what we need to do this morning is is think, God, my heart is for you. And your heart might be close to him, your heart might be far away, but God wants us to know him. One other thing that we mentioned on, on Sunday night is that I'm going to be having a sabbatical between May and July. Uh, Matthew had one a couple of years ago, and it's a, just a good principle for those um, who are serving in ministry. Uh, and there, there'll be a few aspects. There'll be some study, there'll be some rest, um, and there will also be some uh, other experience as well. And in talking to other people who've had sabbaticals, they say, what advice do you have? Um, and they said, the most important thing is for you to spend time with Jesus and deepen your relationship with him aside from pr- preparing sermons or um, helping other people. And so that's going to be my, my big focus, is to spend time and enjoy Jesus. And that's my big, biggest recommendation to all of us. Um, we will have some opportunity to experience other things as well. We're going as a family to America uh, to visit uh, Donnie Griggs' church. Donnie's been with us here before. And we'll have a great time as a family together experiencing church life there. Um, and seeing what God is doing there and what God wants to do in our lives as well. So um, just so you know, that is coming up. We have a, a brilliant team here. So although I won't be around in, um, on the ground Sunday by Sunday, um, May, July, we have a wonderful group of, of people here who are serving and help make church run. So just as we come to a close we looked at beginning at that uh, situation of, of Downton Abbey, of how that represents both pomp and poverty. Yet, under the surface, both the upstairs crew and the downstairs crew, their lives are in a complete mess. Some people are, are more outwardly showing that than others. But we're to know this morning that only Jesus can bring wholeness. Jesus sees through everything that we may put on, we may put on, the, on our outward appearance. And he leads for us the way to follow. So what I love to do is just, um, in the time that we have remain, we have a good amount of time. Let's see what God wants to do, what God wants to say to our hearts. So I encourage you to, to lay aside what other people may be thinking even here, to lay aside our own preconceived ideas and say, God, here's my heart. Won't you have it? When not we stand We respond in prayer.